0: Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 again. I have wanted to emphasize today verse 30. I hope that you won't forget verse 30, that you'll remember it for the rest of your lives. That when you think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you'll think of verse 30 as being one of the summary verses that is important in that chapter. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption where's election in that verse where's god's choice of us to be in christ of Of him here in this phrase of him but of him are ye in christ so it's god's work that gets us in christ it agrees with everything else in the new testament like ephesians 1 according as he hath chosen us in him and the word chosen was used in verse 28 used in verse 27 and so it's implied by the words of him but of him we're not in Christ because we chose to be in Christ. We're in Christ of Him. Amen. Right. And that's what we love about this verse. And then there's Christ. Remember, He came to do the Father's will. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done, because God also chose Him. And so the second part of the verse, of God, it says, and it's referring to Jesus Christ in verse 30, who of God is made unto us. God designed the perfect Savior and raised up the perfect man to save us perfectly. And He provides for us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Now let's expand out to the next ripple. The next ripple is verses 29 and 31. And I hope that you'll remember, it does say in the Bible someplace, and I think it's 1 Corinthians 1, that no flesh will glory in His presence. And that if anyone glories... They better be glorying in the Lord, because that's all that's going to be allowed in heaven. So we look at verse 29 as an outward ripple, that no flesh should glory in His presence. That is a conjunction tying that clause to the long sentence of verses 26 through 28, that God made the choice of the weak and base things of this world to confound the mighty, that no flesh will glory in His presence. Angels don't have flesh. This is a slighting of us by reminding us that we have these flesh bodies that only last a little while and they go in a coffin. No flesh is going to glory in heaven in the presence of God about getting there through salvation. It's going to be all of Him because, but of Him. And it's His choice in verse 28. It's His choice in verse 27 that no flesh shall glory in His presence. That's why it was God's choice, and it's why God chose whom he did. He did not choose the illustrious people of this world. He did not choose men for their wisdom. He did not choose men for their nobility. He chose men for their baseness to bring to nothing those men who think they are noble. He actually saved the nothings of the world to bring to nothing those that think they're something. Lord, we love that verse 29 that no flesh should glory in his presence that's why the salvation is by election Uh, god's going to get all the glory flesh is a slating term for men flesh and all flesh died every beast and it goes through a list and all men because flesh just makes us no not much different than beasts by the just the use of flesh Because animals have flesh as well. But no flesh is going to glory in His presence. Thou hast given me power over all flesh, that I should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given me. Jesus prayed in John 17. And you know, I mentioned that God breathes into man's nostrils the breath of life. You know, a clothespin is all it takes to end one of our lives. Is someone whose life can be, you don't even know what a clothespin is anymore. I'm an old man. A clothespin is something by which you attached laundry to a line in the backyard, and it would dry by the breeze blowing on it. Does anybody remember? (laughs) Oh, okay, well yeah, sister and brother. A clothespin, seal off the nose, and you're gone. No one like that is gonna stand in heaven and get glory. All the glory's gonna be to the one that breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, that could scoop together a little bit of dust and breathe on it and man became a living soul that one gets all the glory yeah, right. glory here is as a verb when glory is used as a verb and look at it it's in verse 29 that no flesh should glory in his presence no flesh no man no person in heaven is going to be glorying and that's used as a verb and then in verse 31 he that glorieth that's a verb let him glory that's a verb in the lord glory Is often is a noun which means exalted praise honor and admiration the majesty and splendor of God it's a noun the glory of God uses an adjective as well to describe God but this is glorying as a verb and glorying as a verb is to exalt with excited triumph to rejoice proudly to confidently boast and God has arranged salvation not of works lest any man should boast. And so I'm using that as a synonym here for glory. God has arranged it in such a way we're not going to get to heaven and boast of getting anyone there, and we're not going to get to heaven and boast of we making a decision for Jesus and getting ourselves there. We're not going to boast of anyone else getting us there except the one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has arranged it that way. God designed the gift of eternal life so that no one will get to heaven and boast at all. He gets all the glory. Remember 4 7, just over a page? Who maketh thee to differ from another? <clears throat> Do you all know that? That you're not a self made man or a self made woman? Whatever you are, God made you and you're less than you could have been. Every single one of you and me. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, Why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Why do you boast or think proudly about yourself like you made yourself different from other men when you just received a gift from God and He made every difference that matters between you and anyone else? And the truth be told, and I'll say it again, you never measured up to what you could have been. There's only one man we know that the Apostle Paul said, that he labored more abundantly than they all, but yet not the great, but yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, and the grace that was bestowed upon me was not bestowed in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Who wants to say that they've been labored as abundantly as the apostle Paul did? So we're always less than we could have been by God's grace, but we're nothing without it, in things natural and in things spiritual. So there's the word glory used in a boastful way back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The presence of God usually refers to heaven in the Bible, where we are in His proximate presence. God designed the gift of eternal life, so that it's all of Him. When we think about being born again in the vital phase, not of, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, not of blood, but of God. John 1.13 they love John 1.12 so much, the first half of a sentence, just like they like the last half of John 6.37, because they don't want the whole thing. And in John 1.12, but as many as received Him, but who did receive Him? Them that were born, which were born, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God, but of God. Isn't this whole verse about of Him, of God, but born of God? The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit, of Him again, of God again, of the Spirit. It's like the wind. We can't control the wind, and the wind blows wherever it wants to. And the Holy Spirit moves wherever He chooses to. And so He chose us in Christ according to His own will. Verse 31, that according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. That is from that popular passage in our church of Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, where the Lord said, wait a minute. Don't let the mighty man glory in his might. Don't let the rich man glory in his riches. Don't let the wise man glory in his wisdom. That shuts us down in about the three most popular ways we measure men. Wisdom is intellect, intelligence, and education. Strength is athletic prowess and accomplishments physically. And riches are business and financial success. And the Lord says, Do not glory in those things. Glory in this, that you know and understand me, that I exercise loving kindness, judgment, and mercy in the earth. For in these things I delight. God delights in His attributes that He exercises in the world. We should delight in Him exercising those attributes in the world instead of those other things. Let us measure our lives, each other's lives, by the measures that God gives so that we can ask among ourselves who delights in the Lord the most in our church? Who glories in God the most in our church? Then reduce it down to your family. Who glories in God the most in my family? Who delights in the Lord the most in my family? Then your marriage. Great competition. Who glories in the Lord the most? Who delights in the Lord the most? It's a choice. The Lord wants us to measure ourselves that way. Let's not look among the church and measure ourselves by how much we're making or how much you can bench at whatever age or any other measure. Let's measure it the way the Lord told us to. And that's all about the word glory. That's what that, when it says in verse 31, that according as it is written, that's Jeremiah 9, 22 and 23, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So let's get all, give all the glory to God. Let's be excited about the fact that we know and understand him and the attributes that he exercises in the earth. And let's delight in those things because that's what he gets delighted about. We delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those that fear him. And so there's that different set. Now let's look at the wider ripples. Those are the ripples right around when we dropped the stone into the well of salvation. It landed on verse 30 of chapter 1, and I want you to remember that. So let me say it again to you. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. If I were to say to you, ransom, which is an economic financial term, which one would you attach it to of those four? Redemption. Yes. If I were to say to you imputation, which is a legal forensic term, which one would you attach it to? Righteousness. If I were to say consecration or holiness, which one would you attach it to? Sanctification. Okay, so we're learning. Because it's everything. And if we were to say knowledge and understanding intelligence, and prudence. Which one would you attach it to? Wisdom. It's an intellectual term. And so the Lord gave us four different categories of facets in this one verse. It's wonderful. Let's go back where he starts his rabbit trail. Verse 17. Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Eloquence, Listen, you're gonna get a one sentence sense for these verses or I won't hit my time goals. So follow me. I took 71 minutes on this last night. Now you get 17 seconds. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Eloquence and oratorical ability corrupt the gospel's effect and ruin it. Because the gospel properly preached drives men away. Right. And if you modify it with pleasant sounding words or a pleasant sounding personality, then you invite reprobates and carnal Christians into the church of God. Paul said, there's no way that I'm going to use the wisdom of words of men, but because I'll destroy the gospel of Jesus Christ and make it of none effect. Do you know what that says about seminary classes in pulpiteering? and multiple speech classes. You don't need, Peter didn't need them. Right. Peter just needed to lay out Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And the elect love it, and reprobates hate it. That's what Paul means by 17. Verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Now if those that are on their way to hell perceive the gospel as foolishness, how is it going to save them? Right. But unto us which are saved... It is the power of God. It's not the power in itself. It's not actual or literal power. The gospel is received and perceived and discerned and picked up by elect people as being their information about God's power in saving men. That's what that verse means. The first half is perception. The second half is perception. Neither one is real because the gospel isn't really foolishness and the gospel isn't really the power of God. It is about the power of God. Do you understand that we are the only ones that believe 1 Corinthians chapter 1? When I say that's a generalization. It's a generalization. Hardly anyone else believes 1 Corinthians 1 about the gospel. They do not know where the gospel fits in. They do not know the purpose of the gospel. Right. They don't understand what makes the difference in response. They think that better methods will get a better response. And that's what the rich man in hell thought. He thought that if, if Lazarus would go back from the dead, that would be one great soul winning service. When Lazarus would, could say, I've been to heaven, and I saw your brother in hell. Would you like to avoid going there? That that should be successful. And Jesus said, through Abraham, Jesus said, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets being (laughs) preached from the word of God, they won't listen to a man that came back from the dead. We believe that. The Bible tells us that. And this verse tells us that. But unto us which are saved, already born again, already chosen by God, already ordained to eternal life, how would it be said, this is the second time, from Acts 13, 48, Paul's great sermon in Antioch of Pisidia, and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed, are saved, ordained to eternal life, it's the power of God. They hear the message of Jesus Christ crucified and God being the just and the justifier, and it is God's power the virgin birth, the resurrection from the dead, the ascension into heaven, his coronation, his coming again, his resurrection of all dead bodies. It's the power of God. The fact that when he said it is finished on the cross, it rent the earth. There was an earthquake. The veil of the temple was rent in twain. All they can think of is look at the power. And they rejoice in the gospel. And what made the difference? Are saved are called in verse 24, are chosen in verses 27 and 28, of Him in Christ Jesus in verse 30. God made the difference first. That's why we respond differently to the gospel. And if you want to know whether whether you're God's elect or not, how much do you love the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you love the preaching of the cross? Do you love singing about the cross? I've called on you to sing more about the cross today because I want you participating in the worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh oh. Verses 19 through 21. Where is this? For it is written, verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. This is out of Isaiah and Job. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Corinth and Athens were filled with these kind of men. Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. How does God reveal himself to men? He gives them eternal life. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. John 17, 3. We know that God has given us an understanding. 1 John 5, 20. And that understanding is to know the Son and to know the Father. This is life eternal. 1 John 5, 20. And so God has chosen through preaching to reach his elect people and tell them about himself. And to tell them about his son. Verse 22, though having a perfect market survey, Paul preached what the market hated. Do you know how to start a church today? You go into such and such a city, wherever you want to go, we could do it in Greenville, Spartanburg, or any, or any, Sparkle City even. We could do it anywhere we wanted to. We could go take a market survey, find that part of town that we want to deal with, build a building, arrange the worship, the form of worship that would attract that particular market niche that we want, and they would come. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. Both God and Paul knew what the market survey was of Paul's audience. But we won't give them what they want. We will not give them what they want. But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews that are looking for a sign, it's a stumbling block. Under the Greeks that are seeking after wisdom, it's foolishness. Don't ever forget that. We want to grow our church with God's growth. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. We want to keep preaching the cross of Christ and drive away those reprobates and carnal Christians that don't really love the Lord Jesus Christ. And we will attract others that love the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't care about our numbers, we care about our doctrine. And so we're going to keep this doctrine and let the Lord take care of the numbers. And He's taking care of the numbers in whatever way He chooses is good enough for us. But unto them which are called, there's another but. In verse 24, in verses 22 and 23, the Jews and the Greeks rejected the gospel, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The Jews looked at the preaching of the cross as a stumbling block. The Greeks looked at the preaching of the cross as foolishness, but unto those which are appointed to eternal life, which are chosen by God, which are of Him in Christ Jesus, they see the power of God and they see the wisdom of God. What wisdom in saving men? What power in saving men? That's verse 24. But unto them which are ordained to eternal life, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. That call is not the gospel call, can't be the gospel call, because it's something that has to come before the gospel call for you to respond to the gospel call. So it should be so obvious. Now watch, what is calling? Well, verse 25 is so beautiful because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. They think our gospel is foolish, and what we preach in our pulpits, banging this pulpit, you know, and preaching hellfire and brimstone, and Jesus coming with his angels to burn up this planet, they think that's foolishness. Well, it's wiser than men. They can make all the precautions that they want to. He's going to overcome them. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. If they think it's weak because we put financial analysts in pulpits and let them preach, and, and blast away about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's strength in the Lord Jesus Christ. They can make fun of it all they want. We know how much strength is there. Our Ebenezer is coming for us. Right. Our stone of help is coming. It's going to grind them to powder. Verse 26 through 28 is a long sentence leading up to its conclusion in 29, but I want you to understand the word calling from its immediate context. I can show you that Paul was called to be an apostle, meaning he was appointed to be an apostle, meaning meaning he was ordained to be an apostle, meaning he was commanded to be an apostle, because they're all synonyms. Go look at how Paul got in the ministry, and you'll find out what calling means. But I want you to see it here. Verse 26, for ye see your calling, brethren. So calling's visible. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen. Oh, there it is. Ye see your calling. As we look around in this assembly, we can see that God has chosen the weaker things of this world, and you all ought to embrace it. I love being God's little child, and I want to be, I'm working toward being His worm. From Isaiah, do you remember that particular sermon? I want to be His little worm. When you look around, there's no noble, there's no mighty, there's no rich, there's no powerful, we're base, we're despised, and the world thinks we're nothing. God chose us. And so it says, ye see your calling, brethren. But to them that are called, appointed to eternal life, when we look around, we can see that God has chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith. James 2, 5. Chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith. And so here we are. We're the poor of this world, but we own the universe. Do you know how this longer passage, Beyond the Rabbit, ends? It's verses 22 and 23 of chapter 3. All things are yours. and I can't go there. All things are yours. You own everything because we're a son of God. Let them call us whatever they want to. When it says that we're base, when it says that we're poor, foolish, and all those things that 1 Corinthians verses 26 through 28 say about us, that's in the opinion of men. That's in the opinion of the world. That's an opinion of intellectuals. They think we're foolish. That's in the opinion of world-class athletes. They think we're weak. And on and on it goes. It's in the opinion of them. We don't care what their opinion is. We're the sons of God. And if they knew who we were, there would be paparazzi in that parking lot. Now, do I have a Bible basis for that? Chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, tells us that if the princes of this world had known that Jesus was the Lord of glory, they would not have crucified Him. And they would not let us go without a free lunch if they knew who we were, but they don't know who we are. But He knows who we are, and we know who He is. And we know their future and our future. And we know it all because He's taught it all to us. And so it tells us what calling is. God's chosen the foolish things of the world, and it's His choice, His calling of them to eternal life, His calling of them to be the sons of God, His appointment, His ordination of them to have eternal life and to be the sons of God. And he's chosen the weaker things of the world to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence, which brings us back to verse 29. And then he sums it up. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. You didn't get into him by choosing yourself. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. And that Christ Jesus, who of God, is made unto us. God made him to do these things for us, to have perfect wisdom, to be able to save us from an intellectual standpoint, to give us perfect righteousness, to save us from a legal standpoint, to give us sanctification, to save us from a religious standpoint, or even Old Testament law called it sanctification, and then to redeem us and buy us back from the claims of God's law against us in the word redemption. So we have verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. But, is contrary to all false doctrine and confidence of men that salvation is God's free gift. Of Him is God's sovereign and gracious choice to elect us and His Son for eternal life. Are ye? Is the elect of God I'm addressing right now? We know we are today by believing and loving the gospel in Christ Jesus where all spiritual blessings are, and we were chosen there in eternity. Who of God is God's sovereign and gracious plan to assign His beloved Son to save us, is made. God's infinite wisdom planned how He could be both just and the justifier through His Son being the substitute for us. Unto us, Jesus did the next four things for the elect, and they, the elect will surely get each one of them. The wisdom we lack is overwhelmed by God's wisdom in Jesus and Jesus' own wisdom righteousness of which we have none is our sins on jesus christ and his perfect his perfection on us sanctification means we are fully consecrated and holy to a thrice holy god by the lord jesus christ redemption means we have been bought back from the demands of god's law against us and it's all in one verse summarizing first corinthians chapter one to humble that church and to put them in their proper place and to explain the preaching of the gospel as to why Paul would come into a city like Corinth and come into a city like Athens and dumb down his presentation to lift up the cross of Christ only. As chapter 2 will go on and explain, and I was going to explain to you, but chapter 2, Paul dumbed down his message to make sure their faith stood in the wisdom and power of God and not in the eloquence or oratorical or pulpit manner of any man. Perfect. That's the Lord's gospel to us. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.